You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Hey, well, I'm so excited uh, f- uh, to be here this morning. Today is Vision Sunday, and uh, I've got my good friend with me, Dr. Daryl Del Huse, president of Phoenix Seminary, chancellor, and uh, former senior pastor at Scottsdale Bible for 25 years, served as the president for 20-plus years. Let's give him a big welcome, North Valley style. Um, Hey, listen, next Sunday is Commitment Sunday, and so I just want to thank all of you who have already turned in advanced commitment cards um, to help uh, with our resource initiative. We are already at 45% of our victory goal, so I want to say thank you. Let's celebrate those commitments, yeah. Uh, here, here's what this means, though, guys. Next Sunday is Commitment Sunday, and so I'm asking everybody, those of you who have not yet turned in your uh, commitment card, your advanced commitment card, um, you should be receiving all of that this week in the mail. I want to encourage you to do a couple of things uh, to help build up the ministries here at North Valley. Number one is I'm just asking everybody to pray, okay? Um, let's all pray this week, uh, Take time to pray. The, the most important thing you can do is just position this before the Lord. Lord, uh, I want to be able to serve you. Lord, I, I love my church. Lord, I want to be able to be a blessing and help invest into the next generation. Um, if your life has been positively impacted by North Valley, and you or this place is the place that you want to call home, I want to encourage you. This would be one of the greatest commitments I think that you could make, investing above and beyond your regular giving. Next week is commitment week. I want to encourage you to do that. Listen, we can't do it alone. We're just 45% of the way there. Um, But if the rest of the church responds, guys, we can blow out this goal, open up new space for our kids, for youth. It will exponentially impact and increase our quality of ministry here at the church in exponentially impact our scope of ministry around the valley. So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, as well, I just want to say a couple of things. First, pray. Second, I want you to talk to your spouse. Leslie and I always take the time to try to talk before we make any kind of financial commitment. The worst thing you can do is announce to your spouse, this is what I decided to do financially. You need to be on the same page, okay? So for my wife and I, in order to make any kind of sizable commitment, for the resource initiative, it's a one-time gift, April 14th, and a three-year pledge, we had to say no to something. I don't have all sorts of extra property to sell again. Uh, I don't have another home that I can afford to sell and move out and do all that. I don't have extra income coming in, so we have to say no to some kind of purchase. For me, it's a, it was a, a, an upgraded vehicle. So my kids aren't excited, but they're going to have an older vehicle when they turn 16. So... So, um, but that's good because I can do something for the church. And so I want to encourage you to say no to something so that you could say yes to something. So talk to your spouse, pray. And then the third thing is just look at your budget. Guys, lead with your head in this situation. You just want to get before the Lord. You want to get before your spouse and make an intelligent investment uh, to, to God's work through North Valley Community Church. Well, that's enough about that. Next Sunday is Commitment Sunday. We're excited for that. Don't miss it. Um, today, we have a special opportunity. Dr. Daryl Del Huse, let me give you the backstory. Ten years ago, I was utterly discouraged. I had a vision to plant a church in Madrid, Spain, and uh, God shut the door on that thing, and a friend of mine said, get in, the, uh, go with me 
to Phoenix, and I'm speaking at a conference, and I just want you to see the Phoenix Valley. Maybe God would lead you to plant a church in Phoenix 10 years ago. Never been to Phoenix, Arizona. Asking God, what am I going to do? I don't know where I'm going to go. I was on track to plant a church in an international city around the world. It had a great team, and it all fell apart. And I walked in to Dr. Del Husse's office, the president at Phoenix Seminary, and he began to in, just kind of inquire about my life, my track record, the mentors that were in my life, the church that I had come from. And then he paused for a moment and he said, Ryan, we've been praying for a guy like you that would plant a church in this kind of city. In fact, there's great opportunities all around the valley. Do you know guys over at Scottsdale Bible? I said, no, I don't, ha- I don't know those guys. I- I've only been here for just a few hours in the, in the valley. And he said, I want to introduce you to a couple of my friends, Tim Kimmel and so on and so on. And through that process, I remember walking out of that office so encouraged, so lifted up in a sense that just maybe this was the city God indeed called us to plant the church. Demaz asked me, how'd the meeting go? I said, man, it was incredible. I actually picked up the phone and called my wife and I said, sweetie, I think, I think we're supposed to plant a church in Phoenix. She said, how do you know? I said, I don't know. I was just really encouraged by Dr. Del Husse. And uh, little did I know later on, um, Scottsdale Bible would develop a relationship with us, the elders over there, and then my, myself, my wife, and our team at the time. And they evaluated us for a process of about a year and said, hey, we have a large fund that we want to help contribute towards your efforts in church planting. Well, at that time, all of our team, our staff team, this was, this was uh, more than six and a half years ago now, um, were raising support. And they said, we have a, a, a fund that we want to help start new churches. And I said, great, how much is it? And they said, $300,000. And I said, oh my goodness. So we were paused and waited and said, what should we do with this money? Let's set it aside, we decided, for a period of about three to five years and wait to see what God could do. And what we did is we raised the support for their staff team. We put the money aside. And then when God had the position for us to move forward to this campus here, we had $300,000 that was set aside we launched a resource initiative like you just saw, and we had more than enough money to make the purchase of this property. And so what I'm telling you, friends, today is Dr. Del Husse, I don't know where I would be today. I don't know where if you would be in this room if it wasn't for his gift of encouragement, vision, and foresight to say, Ryan, come to this valley and plant a church. So will you welcome him, good North Valley style. Well, there's nowhere to go but down from there. (laughs) I uh, understand that you're in a series on servanthood, which I can see how excited you are about that. Because we live in a world that being a servant and serving, kind of like, let's get a root canal while we're on the way. And, And yet I understand that Pastor Ryan, not only this 40 days, focusing on what is a servant? And, and how do we serve? Uh, and, and he took you to Mark chapter 10. And a little account there, which I get the, one of my favorite accounts. Uh, and I want to go back to that account, but I want to do a parallel account out of Matthew 20. Because there's an element to servanthood no one ever talks about. And it might take the sting out of it just a little bit when you sometimes feel like everybody wants to be a servant till you're treated like one. 
And then all of a sudden you start feeling like everybody treats you like a servant. It doesn't feel very good. Maybe it would be great for you to know that, that in that feeling of being a servant, you're being the most powerful leader you could be. I want to talk about leadership. When I, when I was young, we heard, I was only five years old. Uh, it was 1954, actually uh, May 6th. There was a young man in Oxford, England named Roger Bannister. Maybe you're all too young to remember the name Roger Bannister. But what he did is that he broke what was called the four-minute mile. He, he ran the mile in, in three minutes, 59.4 seconds. <laughs> he barely broke it, but he broke it. Now, what the big deal was, he's the first guy in history to do it. Before that, man has always wanted to run faster. In the ancient Olympics, they would have the runners train. They would actually give them tiger's milk to see if they would run faster. From time to time, they'd release the tigers to chase them, but they were losing too many runners, but it worked pretty well. So often, for some reason, since the amount of time that they could time these things, no one, no one could ever run a mile faster than four minutes, over a thousand years. And they thought maybe it's the friction, you know, of the atmosphere, maybe the bone structure, whatever it was. Man was not created so that it was impossible to ever run faster than a four-minute mile. Now here comes May 6, 1954, and this Roger Bannister does it. Now the whole world goes crazy. But what's interesting is three months later, another guy does it. Now, no one's ever done this thing before. A guy does it. Three months later, another guy does it. Then later, there's an American named Steve Scott. He does it 136 times. There was then, after that, this kid. He's a junior in high school. 1964. His name is Jim Ryan. He does it. As a matter of fact, last week, I did it. Well, that's not true. But the fact is, you ever wonder about why is it that somebody figures it's impossible to do something, somebody does it, now everybody knows it can be done, and they do it. It's the power of example. And the power of example is the power of, of influence. Now, as president of a seminary, I'm asked a lot about leadership. What's the key to leadership? Because everybody wants to be a leader. And they get this idea that leadership is all about position. If I get to be the head, if I have the boss, I'm the owner, I'm the president, I'm this or that. Once I have position of leadership, then I can lead. And they're remarkable. They got it all wrong. All wrong. I did my doctoral thesis on servant leadership and read 300, literally 350 different books. And I found 300 and different definitions of what leadership is. But you put them all together, it comes down to one word, influence. See, some of you may say, well, I'm not a leader. Oh, baloney. Anytime you influence another person's life, that's leading. Because all leadership is your life affecting the life of someone else. Hopefully for the better, not oppression. But we all bump against each other. So we all are leading each other in one way or, or another. So then the question comes up, would that be the case? Well then, how does one human being influence another human being? What is the greatest thing that a human being can do that would actually influence, change, affect, touch another person's life? Well, here's where we go with Matthew chapter 20. 
Because Matthew chapter 20, you have the parallel text of Mark 10. And what's happening is that this, this woman shows up to Jesus and she has a request. And, and here's the request, Matthew 20. He says, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. So the mother comes, came to him, Jesus, with her sons bowing down and making a request. Well, what does she want? Well, she said to her, uh, he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right, one on your left. So this is a good Jewish mom. I have two sons. I want one a doctor. I want one a lawyer. See, they're convinced that she's going to set up this Jewish kingdom. And she wants one of her, her two boys, both boys, to be one of the top dogs in the kingdom. And again, they think if they can get the position, if they be in the position of leadership, then they're going to be able to lead. And so she comes and she's asking for these positions of Jesus. But then Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you're asking. And then in peculiar, he says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink, the cup of suffering? And these num-nums are going, oh yeah, we can, we can, we can. He says, well, you're going to. But he said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it's given by my father who's prepared the kingdom for me. Oh, wait, 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 what he's talking about? See, she thinks that Jesus is in charge of the kingdom, but he picks who does what in leadership in the kingdom. And Jesus goes, no, 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 you, you got it wrong. My father is in charge of the kingdom right now. See, what, what do you mean? What? In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, don't you know that the kingdom, remember thy kingdom come, thy will be done when Jesus returns and sets up the picking kingdom? The kingdom is actually a gift from the Father to the Son. Have you ever wondered, Jesus, why is it taking so long? It's been 2,000 years. Why aren't you here already? But then you understand in Gospel of John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, no one comes unto me unless the Father draws him. I mean, come on. Do you really think you figured Jesus out? Well, a little five foot seven Jewish guy 2,000 years ago, and he's God in a bod, created the heavens and the earth. He gets executed by Rome. That's a sacrifice for sin to the Father, providing the Father an opportunity to forgive you of all your sins. You'll believe that. God raised him on the third day. You go to heaven. What a ridiculous story. And here's the point. Jesus knew no one's going to believe that story. It's not an algorithm that you figure out. I know brilliant men and women who believe in the gospel. And I know num-nums who do. I know, I know num-nums who don't and num-nums who do. The point is this, is that this, Jesus isn't something you figured out. Jesus said in John 6, 44, no one comes to me, no one's going to believe, no one's going to recognize who I am unless the Father in heaven causes you to learn. And he says in verse 45, for the prophets say, you shall learn of me from my Father in heaven. So now why? Why is it that the Father is causing you to recognize who Jesus actually was? Because the Father's preparing the gift. If Jesus came in the first century and the Father gives the gift of the kingdom to the Son, it's a pretty small gift. It's basically Jewish, right? And yet the gift the Father's given to the Son is going to have from every language, every tongue, around the nation, around the globe, He's going to be bringing people who love His Son, who committed their lives to His Son, they're going to fill the kingdom. And when the last one is filled, 
boom. The father gives the kingdom to the son. The son returns to this earth. So that's why he says, no, no, who's going to be playing what part? That, that's my, my father in heaven. But, but then we find out that the other guys understand what he's doing. Listen to verse 24. And hearing this, the ten became indignant at the two brothers. Now, why are the ten upset at the two brothers? Answer simple. They didn't get their mother there in time. So here you got James and John. They got their mother advocating for them to get the top positions. And they left old mom home. And so they're mad because they're going to lose out because they're not going to get the positions of leadership. And Jesus in this context, guys, 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 guys. Come on, huddle in, huddle in. Says, let's talk about it. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. Says, You know, it's a bad case of the normals that people in this world they view strong leadership as those who lord it over and exercise authority over. But then Jesus throws a right ball and he says, This, it is not so among you. That's the strongest language you can have in the Greek. He's saying, I better not see it. Wait, 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 wait. In the world, we get this idea that if you see somebody who acts like Attila the Hun, that that's a strong leader. Because that leader knows how to bully, how to get people frightened. And we kind of think the shorter fuse somebody has, well, why will I do what he's I don't want them to get mad. I don't want to get fired. And so because somebody can somehow induce fear, we say they're a strong leader. And Jesus goes, no, you, you, you got it all wrong. He says here, in the world, they define leadership as somebody who lords it over and exercise authority over one another. That, that little word he uses there, lord it over, Jesus does an interesting thing. He takes the word kurios, and that's the word lord. That means you exist to serve me, to benefit me. You make me better somehow. That's your purpose. And then he adds a little preposition in front of it called kata. Kata means down, below me. So the word is kata curios. He says, first of all, in the world they view a good leader, a strong leader, as one who views everybody below them living for the purpose of benefiting them, serving them in some way. And notice the second word, they exercise authority over them. Jesus does the same thing. He takes that little preposition, kata, means down, you're all below me, and he adds this to the word authority, exousia, which means the right to make the decision, the choice for you to carry out. So here he says, the world says strong leadership is when you're in a position where you're the boss, and so therefore you expect people to treat you with respect, treat you with the way they ought to treat anybody that they adore, and then second of all, your will is done on earth as it is in heaven because you make the decisions and they better do what you say because you're a strong leader. That's what the world views. And most of us suck it in as well. And Jesus says, that shall not be done. Even viewed as leadership. Not in the kingdom. Not in the church. You go, well, why, why is Jesus so strong about that? Because, remember the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May you be treated with respect and reverence. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. It's a perk of a God to basically have two things. One, to be treated with reverence and respect and served. 
and to have his will done on earth as it is in heaven. We're talking about self-divinity. Why is Jesus so ticked at this? Because unless you created a universe lately, you're not a God. God is God, we are not. And yet think of the last time he got mad this week. Relax, we won't have a share time. But I'll tell you why he got angry this week. He got angry this week for one of two reasons. You got ticked because you weren't being treated the way you felt you should be treated. Or things weren't going your way. Your will was not being done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we always get angry and let's just own up to it. I'm angry because I'm not being treated as a God. But I'm not a God. And yet the world says, if I act like a God, you serve me and you do what I say, then I'm a leader. And that's why Jesus says, it shall not be among you. Well, then what is a leader? Now again, what's leadership? Influence. How does one human being catch it? Because we all do it, whether it's in friendship, it's with your kids, your parents, at work, at school. Our lives are going to influence the lives of others. So I would like to know, what can I do with this carcass, this body? Now see, Holly and I turned 70 this year. I'll tell you, write this down. Aging sucks. It does. I mean, people say, do you still play competitive tennis? This body does not enjoy competitive tennis anymore. I, I, I used to golf a lot. I don't golf anymore. Why? I got sick and tired of failure. I mean, why leave every time I never felt good about myself? And then I look in the mirror and I go, oh, man, what, what happened? I'll never forget waking up and looking at these hands going, these are my father's hands. Where did my hands go? These are my father's hands. I mean, if you listen carefully, you can hear my soul. Let me out. Let me out. I mean, the fact is, is that when you get our age, you start really having these waves of fear. And you know what the fear is? Am I still going to be useful? Am I still going to be useful? Men that retire and just strictly retire are dead in 10 years, statistically. Why? Because we have this need of purpose and meaning. And the only sense we ever have of having purpose and meaning is if we're useful. Useful to whom? Useful to me to make everybody revere me and do what I say? No, <laughs> you end up alone. You end up alone. But how can I still be useful even as I'm becoming an old man? Well, where do I find meaning and purpose? Jesus tells you. By still understanding your life influences others, you're still a leader. Now how? He says here, it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to be great, that sounds good, among you shall be your servant. That doesn't sound so good. And whoever wishes to be the first among you, that sounds good, shall be your slave. That doesn't sound so good. Now what, what is Jesus doing here? He's very countering the very culture that he was in. I, I, I remember when I was in college, I saw this t-shirt and it says, uh, God is dead. Stein Nietzsche. See, uh, 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 those of you philosophy guys, Frederick Nietzsche was a German philosopher. His dad and grandpa were Lutheran pastors. And he was an atheist. So he said, God is dead. And that was a really cool thing in the 60s to wear t-shirts that said, God is dead. Stein Nietzsche. So I had a t-shirt made up. And it says, God is dead. Stein Nietzsche. But then on the back it says, Nietzsche is dead. Sign God. You know, I just kind of used to irritate me even when I was in college, lever. Because Nietzsche was the one who said, it is the primal need 
The primal need of every human being is to power over. That's why we always got to try to be better than each other. So I got to be funnier than you or more adventurous than you. It's all competition, competition. And the whole point is somehow, the only way I have feeling of meaning and purpose is somehow I convince that I'm better than you in some way. And that's exactly what the world's like. That's the foolishness that people suck in every day. But Jesus said, oh, no, 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 no. The greatest among you, with the greatest leadership, the greatest influence that a human being can have on another human being, he says, is to be their servant. In this historic context, both Plato, Aristotle, they felt freedom to, to, to make your own choices was the, was, was the most important virtue. And anything like serving or being a servant was ridiculed. But Jesus doesn't back off, even though the whole culture would disagree here, much like our culture would. This word servant, diakonis, is the Greek word. We get the word deacon from it. And all it means is basically this. I realize whatever I have, whatever gifts, strength, intelligence, ability, uh, resources, position of influence, whatever I have has been given to me for one reason, to benefit others. And I will only find meaning and purpose in what I have as a talent, ability, a resource, only as it benefits others. It's the opposite of lording it over. Imagine the first service. Do you notice this guy right here? His name is Jonathan. Jonathan plays the guitar, but he has his own studio. Jonathan also teaches guitar. Now, the band is great, but Jonathan makes it classy. Because if you were listening, the background, what well, he was tickling those little whatever, he was tickling there. He has played two notes. He was, it was just... Now, what is John, how does Jonathan, after all that uh, talent, ability, and training, so does he go into a closet, his studio, lock the door, and play for himself? No, maybe he'll enjoy it. But that's not what's going to give him purpose and meaning. It's only as it blesses others. So it is with any ability you have. Any gift you have, the resources you have, you want to enjoy them? Jesus wasn't nuts when he's quoted in Acts. It's more blessed to give than to receive. He's not saying, I know that's corny, but it's a nice thing to say. Put it on your refrigerator. No, Jesus is dead serious. The purpose and meaning of anything you have, you will find only as it benefits others. It is exactly the opposite of the world. That's the diaconese. That's the diaconis. So therefore, I study hard. People say, how is it you know so much Bible? Are you so... If, are you, do you have a photographic mind? I ran out of film a long time ago. <laughs> but I will tell you this, if I'm so smart, how come I have to study so hard? But why do I study so hard? So I can sit in a corner and teach myself? I don't think so. My purpose and meaning as a teacher is only how this teaching and the truth, and you see the wisdom of the wisdom of God and break out of the darkness of the delusion of the world. So he says, you want to have leadership influence? Then think like a diaconese. Realize any ability, talent, anything you have to offer, the only sense of purpose and meaning is how it benefits others. That's a diaconese. Now he says, you want to be the leader? Number one? Oh yeah, that would be great. I want the top position. No, you don't. Remember he talked about the cup of suffering? It's dangerous to be the leader. That's why James 3 says, don't be very many teachers for such is a stricter judgment. What was stricter judgment? 
If you're a leader, you love. But you want to know what it feels like to feel loved? You feel loved the moment you feel safe. But here's the downside. If you have somebody who loves you and makes you feel safe, the safer you feel, if you've got character flaws, you'll feel safe enough to reveal them. And those character flaws will sometimes go after the leader. We call them in ministry sheep bites. You want to see some of mine? We were talking about Ryan's big sheep bites. You know, still healing on that one. The fact is, is that being the leader isn't always a great, great thing because of what it is. What is it? Well, notice what he says here. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. The Apostle John writes in his third letter, uh, Diotrephes. This is a, a guy. And the only thing John says is he likes to be first. So for those who want to be the first, Jesus says, all right, then you'll be the slave. Guess what word he uses there? There are seven words in the Greek to describe serving, servanthood. This is the worst. This is a doulos, doulos. This describes a little slave girl in the corner at dinner. And she's standing there and she's watching the fingers of the master because she exists without any self-will and exists only to carry out the will of another, a will of her master. So she's watching his or her fingers on, you know, get more water, go get, go get another this. His fingers were all signature because she existed without any sense of what her will was. She existed to carry out the will of another, specifically the will of her master. That's a doulos. And so who, who is our master? Jesus Christ. You want to know who the leader is? The one who has absolutely no personal ambition. Has not any concern about their will being carried out, their dream being carried out, they are convinced of only one thing. They're carrying out the dream and the will of Jesus Christ. That's what makes them the leader. But not always people like that. And so they're going to go after them. They're going to attack them. That's the cup of suffering. Jesus was the greatest servant leadership. Where did he end up? Crucified him. So it's not always being popular. But on the other hand, it's, it's a, their guy. I don't know, have you ever heard the name Foster? Richard Foster was kind of a Christian monk. Uh, interesting devotional writer. And, and he's commenting about John 13. Remember the night before Jesus crucified? And he's in the uh, upper room and everybody shows up and their feet stink. Uh, back in those days, sandals were in, all right? And when you're walking around town, you're walking in dirt and mud and poo, all right? Let's just set it out there. I was just thinking, what's, what's an acceptable word? Poo, all right? So when you came down to dinner, and by the way, their tables were only about two feet high, surrounded by pillows. So you would lay on your one side, and then you would eat, which means you would stick your pick and feet in the face of the next guy, whose your feet have been walking in dirt and mud and poo. So what would you appreciate? Somebody to what? Wash the feet. So you would have a slave, the doulos, wash the feet. But that night before he's crucified, the disciples are all together and there's no doulos around. Matter of fact, none of them want to be a doulos. This is what Richard Foster writes. When Jesus gathered for the Last Supper, they were having trouble over which one was the greatest. That was their debate. 
gathered at the Passover feast, the disciples were keenly aware that someone needed to wash the other's feet. Why do you think they were keenly aware? <laughs> he says, the problem was that the only people who washed feet were the least. So there they sat, feet caked with dirt. It was such a sore point that they were not even going to talk about it. No one wanted to be considered the least. Then Jesus took a towel and a basin and so defined greatness. What is servant leadership? Servant leadership is the most powerful influence one human being can have on another human being. Just think it through with me. Who do you want to be with? You want to follow and be with somebody that they're all about just juicing you, taking whatever they can get out of you. You exist below me to serve me and my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you don't do that, I'll get angry because I'm a till of the hunt, a strong leader. And if you're a victim and you're weak, then you're going to follow that baloney. But Jesus says it shall not be that way, not in this kingdom. That's not how you influence people's lives. That's how you end up alone. Because finally people get sick and tired of being used and abused and oppressed that way. And so whatever little group, whatever job, whatever people you thought you were leaders, they're gone eventually. On the other hand, think it through. If there are people around and they know every time they're with you, you're there for them. You're there basically that whatever you got, you got because you wanted to benefit them. You want to make them great. And if people knew that you're all about one thing, not yourself will be done, but the will of Jesus Christ in your life and the life of others, are they going to be drawn to you or are they going to run from you, folks? Answer the question. They're going to be drawn to you. And you're not going to be end up alone. That's why Peter, who was there, by the way, and heard this whole thing, he writes this at the very end of his letter, 1 Peter 5. He thinks he's going to die, young age. So he, he thinks this is the last letter. Verse 6, that's when Peter says, humble thyself under the mighty hand of God. Humble means to view yourself lowly to serve and make others great. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that in due time, and what's the promise? God will exalt you. Paul in Philippians 2. Paul says, have this mind in you that was in Jesus Christ. What mind? He says, be humble in mind. What's humility? He says, thinking about the interests of others. Now catch this. Think of the interests of others as more important than your own. Is there, did, did he really say that? Absolutely. But if I'm thinking about the success and interests of everybody else around me, where does that leave me? How you define the success. Do you define success as the number of people you make successful around you? Because if that's the definition of leadership, making people successful around you, then there's where you find your meaning, purpose, and your success. That's why Paul's dead serious. You be thinking about the interests of others is more important than your own, and you will have the mind of Christ. And if because of that humble mind, you will be exalted by God, and you'll be a great leader. Great influence among people that have a chance to touch your life and your life touch theirs. I only find one place in all of scripture that Jesus ever describes himself. Only one place. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. 
And when Jesus describes himself, he says, learn of me, take my yoke, for it's easy. Now, what was a yoke? A yoke wasn't something to make an oxen suffer. It was a teaching instrument. You took a, a, a veteran ox and you yoked him up to a rookie ox. And that's how the rookie ox learned where to go. So Jesus says, take my yoke, it's light. Then he says, learn of me. All right, what should we learn from you, Jesus? And this is what he says, for I am humble and gentle. What is humble, gentle? Gentleness is what humility looks like. Humility, I'm here to make you great. I'm here to make you great. And anything that I have to offer is simply I find meaning and purpose by how it benefits you. And I find I'm here for only one driven reason, carry out the will of my master, Jesus Christ. I have no will of my own for you, only his will. And so when people pick up your attitude real fast, you do too. Matter of fact, when someone walks into a room, you can tell right away. Some people walk into a room and it's like, here I am, enjoy. Here I am, you're God, you're divine. You're here to serve me. Uh, you want to get close to me, maybe somebody will serve you too. So maybe it will, but, but here I am. Or you have other people, when they walk into a room, it just reeks with, and there you are. And there you are. And there you are. See, that's the question. Which one are you? Because either way, you're not getting away with it. People are looking for leaders. People are looking for somebody that can change their life. It's your example, your leadership, your influence of taking all that God's given you. When people realize you exist to make them better and you exist to carry out the will of Christ in their life, you'll become great. You will become the leader. Does that make sense? Because I have no more to say. Father, thank you so much that you have brought us together in this wonderful church. And Lord, these 40 days of learning to be a servant, because the world screams at us. Everybody's so self-entitled. The idea of serving others, making other people great, others successful. Isn't this all about competition? We got to be better than, better than, better than. Oh, Father, may we obey our Lord Jesus Christ and see that leadership is influence. And for my life to be useful, it's making other people great and it's seeing your will be done in their lives. And so, Father, make us all leaders. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Can we thank Dr. Daryl for being here today and bringing the word? Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.